Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. everybody and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Hey, hey. And our producer, Colin Moore. Hey, guys. This week, we're discussing the cell phone company BlackBerry. If you're unfamiliar with BlackBerry, then you were probably born after the year 2000, in which case, I'm glad we're having an impact on today's youth. BlackBerry was the go-to cell phone in the early 2000s for busy adults with adulting to do. It was so addictive, it was known playfully as the Crackberry, because nothing's funnier then drug addiction. <laughs> the BlackBerry was created by a company called Research in Motion. So we're probably going to use those two names interchangeably. So just if you hear the name Research in Motion, that's the company that created BlackBerry. So, you know, whichever one we say, they're the same company. Just wanted to get that out uh, up front so that it didn't get confusing. Cayman, did you want to share anything as kind of an opener? Yeah, two things, actually. Number one. Third episode, we made it, boys, and you know what they say, third time's charm. Uh, second thing, I just realized today, after doing all my research, that um, Blackberry and Apple are both fruits. I guess I hadn't really thought about it. It's very important. It is. It's not. <laughs> it's a big deal. But but interesting, nonetheless. Yeah. And yeah, that's all I had, so. Okay, those were both great. <laughs> both very important things to say. Well, the only thing I wanted to say before we started this is uh, I, coming off of John McAfee, this story was kind of boring. You know, there's no sex, <laughs> drugs or murder. What? I know. All right. So before we get started, I just want to acknowledge my source. It's a book called Blackberry Planet, the story of research in motion and the little device that took the world by storm by Alistair Sweeney. And I don't know if that took the world by storm. I don't know if that's supposed to be a pun on the Blackberry storm. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. This was a great resource to learn about the early years of research in motion. That's kind of a topic that isn't covered by a lot of news sources. Once you get into, like, BlackBerry's heyday, obviously there's a ton of great information, but the early years, really, this was the go-to source. And it'll also tell you how to save your BlackBerry if it falls in a toilet. So, you know, there's a lot of great information that you can get from this from this source. Is it not just rice? I'm going to be honest, I just saw the header. I didn't actually read it. Didn't even do your research. Wow. I'm sorry. I was like, I can skip this section. All right. But anyway, with all that being said, let's just hop into the story of BlackBerry. The story of BlackBerry begins as many great stories do. In the year 1100 BC, when the Greeks first inhabit the island nation of Cyprus. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. Tie it in. Make it work. Make it work. All right. So I'm about to yada yada like 3,000 years of history. Good. But 1100 BC, the Greeks inhabit the island nation of Cyprus. Yada yada 3,000 years. Um, a lot of stuff happens in that time. Like the, the Romans take it over. The Egyptians take it over. But that's not important. What's important to the story is in the year 1570, the Ottomans take over control of the island nation of Cyprus. And the Ottomans are the modern day Turks. They held the country for about 300 years when they traded it to the British in exchange for support in the Congress of Berlin. 
And so at that point, it became a British colony. Now, it was still about 70-30 Greeks to Turks on the island when the British take it. So at this point, the Greeks have been under different uh, control of different countries for a while, and they're starting to get tired of it. And a rebel guerrilla group starts killing British police and military. And there's a call for independence. And at this point, the British have dealt with a lot of different uh, rebellions. So they're just like, you know what, fine. Write your own constitution. Be independent. And so a constitution is written, and it's set up to where a Greek will always be president, and a Turk will always be vice president. And there was kind of a whole negotiation that happened. The Turks weren't really happy with that deal, so they decided to start their own government. And there's just a lot of bad blood going on between the Greeks and the Turks around this time. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with Blackberry? That is what I'm thinking. Yes, yes. <laughs> well... Cut to the year 1966 and the Lazardis family, who is a Greek family who lives in Istanbul, Turkey. They see everything that's going on. There's a lot of tension between the Greeks and the Turks. And, you know, they're, they're a Greek family in the middle of Turkey. So they decide that it's time to leave. And so they move to Canada. And their son, Mike, Mike Lazardis, gets in with a group of friends uh, who enjoy watching Star Trek and tinkering with any electronics that they can get their hands on. So Mike Lazardis has this friend named Doug Fragan, and he shared Mike's love for wireless technology. And so Mike and Doug would spend their summers working on wireless transmitters and going to ham radio swap meets. Cool kids. Yeah, <laughs> the coolest kids in school. So eventually Mike graduates from high school and he enrolls in the University of Waterloo. There he has a co-op with a supercomputer manufacturer where he takes his love of technology to the next level. So his love of technology goes to second base. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also at this co-op that he realizes that school's for fools. And so he calls up his old friend, Doug, and he says, Hey, you know, we can uh, make a lot more money not being in school. Did these guys, did these guys really drop out? Yeah. Damn it. Why does every successful person drop out of school? Because school's for fools. It's too late for me. I've already gotten a degree. There's no way I could ever be successful. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cayman. You'll never be a millionaire. Damn it. That's the secret. Uh, okay. So together they dropped out of school and founded Research in Motion. Together they developed a program to send message signals to a remote display. And if you've seen pictures of this, it looks horrible. It's like a black screen with white text on it. But that had never been done before. You couldn't just send a message to a screen and have it display like that. It had to be wired up to something. So the idea was that they would market this to storefronts, right? Like you could put something in a, in a display window and advertise different sales you were having or whatever it may be. And they went out trying to market this and that wasn't the target market. They just didn't know the landscape. And eventually, they landed with General Motors. And what they hadn't realized was the real benefit of their technology was that in a loud plant, you need to get messages across. And these wireless displays were a great way to send a message from, you know, the foreman to the floor. So they signed a deal with GM for $600,000. And with that, they went on to produce a new technology to assist in film editing. And from that, they actually won an Academy Award for uh, technical achievement. So they do have an Academy Award. They do have an Academy Award. 
But they knew that both of these things weren't really long-term wins. And so they kept going back to their love of wireless technologies. You know, they were they were ham radio guys. So they started to experiment more with that, and they shifted their sights to a more wireless technology. So it's at this point that the Palm Company, which was a big PDA company at the time, especially throughout the 90s, releases the Palm 7. It used a Mobitex-based service called Palm.net to offer bite-sized chunks of relevant data on a device that resembled an overgrown Palm 3 with a flip-up antenna. Now, the important thing here is Mobitex. Mobitex was an OSI-based, open-standard, national public access, wireless, packet switch data network. Hey, can you put that in English? <laughs> uh, I Okay, I'm not going to go too deep into this. One, because it's probably extremely boring and way too technical. Uh, two, because I don't really understand how it works that well myself. But it was essentially, uh, it was originally designed for emergency services. It was a way to display pieces of information like you were talking about wirelessly. It was a whole radio channel just for that or a whole wireless channel just for that. So it made it possible to quickly send and receive information mobily incredibly quickly. News headlines, weather, email, flight times, and the like were all displayed on the Palm 7. Those were all things that you could check, which was completely revolutionary to be able to see those things wirelessly without having to plug into the internet. But unfortunately, this wasn't very successful, but the technology of Mobitex network was ripe for the taking. So in 1996, RIM, I'm going to just say RIM because it's quicker. RIM being short for research in motion. In 1996, RIM introduced its first product, the Interactive Pager, with the A and the Interactive being a little at symbol because, you know, got to be cute. It was a two-way pager built on the Mobitex data network. The big thing with the Interactive Pager was that you could send and receive emails. Just like the name implies, it was mainly a pager, but it had a lot of that functionality that the Palm 7 had. So in 1998... They released a smaller model, the BlackBerry RIM 952 way interactive pager, which was an instant success. This was just a smaller, better, and more commercial product than the original interactive pager. It could also send and receive emails by using a PC dock to synchronize with Microsoft Exchange accounts. And this was great timing because email messaging was just taking off in the US and globally. When this released, it retailed for about $360 with data plans starting at $25 a month through Bell South. It only required one AA battery for power, which tell me the last time you bought something that used a AA battery. It also had a QWERTY keyboard and track wheel, which would become BlackBerry Signature. Cayman, why did they change the name from Interactive Pager to BlackBerry? So they picked the name BlackBerry because of all the small black keys that resemble the little BlackBerry. And they originally started using the name for the BlackBerry, getting away from the interactive pager name because of the system that allowed you to connect with your Microsoft Exchange account. One quick fact that I do want to throw in, the entire system itself, without the plastic holster that it came with, was uh, 134 grams. With the plastic holster, it was 161 grams. The iPhone 11 is 194 grams, so this thing is lighter than an iPhone 11. It's also made of plastic. Well, yeah, and it's way cooler. Not glass and metal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that means nothing to me. Like, if you put things in grams, I'm like, I... It's made of plastic. It's very important. All, all you need to know is that an iPhone 11 is very heavy and it makes your hand tired. Now, what you've learned is that plastic is lighter than glass. <laughs> 
Also, it has one AA battery in it rather than a lithium-ion battery. <laughs> exactly, which is even better. You never have to charge it. Then go back to a BlackBerry. Go back to a version one BlackBerry. <laughs> you have to carry batteries around. They don't make them anymore. If they did, you would not want one. Imagine the convenience of just being able to pop in a new battery. <laughs> to me, what you've just said is we've gone leaps and bounds in technology and we've only gone up 30 grams. Like that's that's what I take away from what you just said. <laughs> no, we've gone up 60 grams and 30 grams with the holster. Imagine how much an iPhone 11 weighs with the holster. <laughs> <laughs> do i look like the kind of guy that walks around with an iphone attached to my belt you know what I, you say that but yes you do your face looks like the kind of guy that would walk around with a holster <laughs> yeah well guess what we're on a podcast nobody can see me Cayman. i'm gonna post a picture to the instagram just so people can see so anyway moving on march 4th 2002 the blackberry 5820 is released this is the first blackberry device to ever offer cellular phone service which means not only can you now do email and paging, you can also make a call on it. This is also the first BlackBerry device to run on Java, meaning that anyone who knew Java could write new apps that could be downloaded to the phone, meaning you had different programs running on your phone. Isn't that a wild idea? So as part of this, you could get a data plan through T-Mobile and get a whole megabyte per month. Wow. Reviews on this were mixed. They were saying like, you know, why would I want to look at the internet on my phone? But in an interview about the device, the vice president of brand management said, what's important is always on connectivity to email access. It's not about late night browsing. I have a question really quickly. Okay. He says it's all about the email access. Yeah. But that's limited to one megabyte a month, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of the data plan? Yep. How quickly do you hit that on emails? Well, you know, these were HTML emails. You weren't adding attachments and stuff. Yeah, it's literally just text. It's literally like, hey, catch you in the meeting tomorrow, dude. I guess, yeah, I guess it's pretty small. I guess you're right. Okay. Imagine having to worry about how many emails you're sending a month because it's going to like hit your data break limit. your data limit. <laughs> you put yeah. out an office memo. Hey, by the way, if you send me an email, I'm not going to get it. I've hit my data plan this month. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can't even say send me a text. Like, <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> so really, they were trying to focus on business users and not be a consumer device. You know, that was really BlackBerry's focus at this point was let's get email on there. Let's make sure that this is great for anybody who wants to send emails and, and be always on. Right. And that was that's been blackberry's focus and really the stereotype of blackberry forever is that it is the businessman's phone it is the businessman's brand like if you have a blackberry you're being serious you're doing business stuff well cayman that's where i've got to disagree with you really because that was the idea of who owned a blackberry but that all changed in 2005 when blackberry wanted a piece of that sweet sweet consumer market Ugh. And I'm going to be honest, this is where things get a little weird. Yeah. Their strategy <laughs> was to target Hollywood stars. Right. Which kind of makes sense, right? These are still people who need to be always on, always connected. And it all kind of starts in November of 2005, when none other than Oprah names the BlackBerry 7105T one of her favorite things. Isn't this just like such a classic and 
outdated advertising trope like oh yeah like 1930s like oh we gotta get a big star to use our product and then everybody's gonna want one like it's i, I disagree came <laughs> i mean think about how many like brands go after influencers today like this is just advertising ah oh, yeah that's all it is is just yeah. let's get someone people know to say that they like our product i wish products would stay niche i love niche products <laughs> Well, here's my thing is, is you, you say that, but like, just see where this story goes. Like it works for them. All right. Let's continue then. Tell me about Oprah and her Blackberry. <laughs> oh, I'm going to tell you about <laughs> Oprah. In true Oprah fashion, she does the, and you get a Blackberry and you get a Blackberry and you get a Blackberry. <laughs> so we know at least 300 people had the 7105T. That's how many people are in her audience. Yeah, 300, roughly. Wow. Is that a lot or a little? What do you think? That seems like a lot. Yeah, when she starts giving out cars. Yeah, when she's giving out cars, she gave out 300 cars? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of cars. Jesus. Okay. After the phone joined Oprah's favorite things, the phone model saw a 26% increase in sales. It's not bad. That's pretty good. And then after this, Madonna admitted to sleeping with her Blackberry under her pillow every night. When you started that with Madonna admitted to sleeping with, I thought you were going in a very different direction. <laughs> with Blackberry, isn't it scandalous? <laughs> no, but here's a quote from Madonna. I have to sleep with my Blackberry because I often wake up in the middle of the night and remember that I've forgotten something, so I jump up and make notes. Mm. So this is really the moment. Like, it's it seems obvious to us today, right? You have your phone beside your bed and, like, you know, you can do anything with it. But that's kind of a ludicrous concept at this point. Right. And this is really where the culture of the quote-unquote Crackberry is born. This was people's first smartphone. And this was something that you could not only use for business purposes, but also you could play games on it. Like, it had Breakout. I remember playing Breakout on a BlackBerry that had the trackpad. Yeah. And it kind of just became a cult. Like, it kind of snowballed into this whole cult hit. I actually read an article from NPR that said that there was, you know, this new lingo going around. That bowing your head to check your email on your phone during a meeting was called the Blackberry Prayer. <laughs> Which just sounds so, like, culty. Like, we're yeah. going to do the Blackberry Prayer. <laughs> um, so say we all. But, I mean, think about it. Think of everyone listening to this podcast now. Think of how many hours a day you use your phone, even if it's just like one hour a day. And just imagine, like, never knowing what a phone is before that. This started it. Yeah, well, but that's the thing is you're saying phone. This is more than a phone. This was the first time that a phone became more than a phone. It's not about making calls. It's not about just sending messages. It's about this is your new life. Like, you're going to put all your stuff in it. You're going to sleep with it. You're going to, you know, play breakout on it. You're going to do everything on this device. Like, it's more than a phone. It's a device. It's your, it becomes your life. Yeah. It became everyone's life. Like, it makes sense that they related to crack. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is you now. Yeah. And, and, and again, it seems second nature at this point because every one of us has one. But this is really where it all starts. But as people always tend to do, some saw this as the end of the world. You know, everybody's, you know, getting attached to these cell phones and what are we going to do? And one of my favorite things that I just stumbled upon during my research was a peer-reviewed dissertation titled <laughs> The Impact on the Blackberry on Couples Relationships. 
<laughs> and if you're curious about the results, this is a quote from the abstract. Marital satisfaction had increased for two couples, decreased for two couples, and had no influence for the rest of the couples. The research revealed that some couples, where both partners had Blackberries, the mobile device facilitated the resolution of disagreements via email. So they went into it, you know, expecting expecting negative results and found out that some people just get along better if they just... They email each other when they're fighting. Communicate, yeah. Communicate <laughs> okay. through email. Okay. okay, hot take. Hot take for all of our audience. Okay. If you think that a BlackBerry is ruining your relationship... It might be something other than the BlackBerry. <laughs> well, and here's the thing is like if you paid attention, so it, it marital satisfaction increased for two couples, decreased for two couples, and had no impact for the rest of the couples. So that's a net zero. How large is the sample size? It was ten couples. I mean that's a small sample size. Yeah, that is, but that's that's not bad. That's not bad. So this basically revealed that no, the world isn't crashing down around us. If anything, it's a net zero. Right. Even with a small sample size, <laughs> meaning that this is statistically irrelevant. But anyway, riding this wave of cult status, BlackBerry was untouchable and no competitor could ever breach their loyal fan base. So entering 2007, a company called Apple releases a new product that has a combination of a phone, a iPod and a web browser. Of course, you all know this now as the iPhone. So when the famous Steve Jobs is pitching this phone for the first time, one of the big points that he makes is the bottom 40%, talking about how the bottom 40% of the BlackBerry and the Nokia and all these other phones is static hardware that cannot be changed. And therefore, uh, depending on what you're doing, that piece of hardware could be irrelevant. And you could use that screen space for so much more using other applications. And what he's really talking about is, is the keyboard, right? Right. That's that's the hardware part. That was BlackBerry's main selling point is saying, you know, we've got this physical keyboard that makes it easier to do things. But right. And the I mean, it's called BlackBerry because the keyboard resembled the BlackBerry. So that's straight up. Right. Yeah, that, that is the BlackBerry. So Apple's basically attacking their main selling point. Right. They're attacking their main selling point. And the iPhone's immediately a huge success. Immediately a huge success. At this point, BlackBerry realizes that it needs to step up its game to compete with the iPhone. So in September 2008, they announced the Storm. This was released the following November, and it was BlackBerry's first true iPhone competitor and the first ever BlackBerry phone without a hardware keyboard. It had some pretty innovative technology, such as the click-through SurePress technology, which made the entire screen of the phone a button which could be used to select actions, This is a, as opposed to double-tapping on the iPhone. And this was actually very much like the 3D Touch, which was unveiled on the iPhone 6S in 2015. So you could press a button or a button on the screen, click it, and more actions could come up, depending on how hard you're pressing that button. So this offered a true tactile feedback. Unfortunately, the phone didn't really work as intended. A lot of times when you depress the screen, the select would somehow shift on a different item and would execute. So you would go to click one button, you would press in and drag to one of the options, and it would click something completely different on the screen. It didn't always work as intended. Uh, and there were a few other drawbacks. The phone offered mobile data, Bluetooth, and GPS like the iPhone, but unlike the iPhone, it did not support Wi-Fi connectivity. 
that's a big problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. Uh, especially with how limited data packages are at this time. There were unlimited packages, but they were very pricey. And a lot of the packages that you could buy were only a few gigs. So you would run through that very quick. The storm weighed nearly, uh, and I, I fixed this for you, Michael, because I don't want you to get confused. Okay. The storm weighed nearly 5.5 ounces versus the iPhone only weighing 4.7 uh, so that's a lot of weight on your hand. You're going to get tired walking around with that. It's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even with a belt clip. God knows how much it weighed with it. Probably over six ounces. Well, Jesus. honestly, like this is, I'm going to go ahead and say, like, this is my moment. I'm going to say the fact that they so quickly ditched their main selling point because Apple had called them out on it. Yeah. Within a year, they're just like, oh, no, no, no. We never even liked keyboards. Like, <laughs> and but they, they tried to do the whole the whole phone is a screen, but they didn't do it the way that it needed to be done after they had already. And I've got a couple quotes like after iPhone had come out, the CEO of Research in Motion came out and said, it's kind of one more entrant into an already busy space with a lot of choice for consumers. But in terms of a sort of sea change for BlackBerry, I would think that's overstating it. So they they completely write off Apple, but then within a year say like, oh no, we're, we're going to do the same thing that they're doing, except we're going to do it worse. Apple called their bluff and then they responded. Yeah, and this is one of those double-edged sword things, especially how we talked about Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster refused to innovate. They saw what the future was, and they pushed it aside, and they went under because of it. BlackBerry decides to immediately go for what they see the new thing as being, and it's just a cop-out. <laughs> this, on top of the fact that I, I didn't even touch it yet, the thing was riddled with terrible hardware. Like, it, it was not uh, reliable. Actually, when I was researching this, my fiance Emily, mentioned that she had one of these phones. She had the original BlackBerry Storm. She said it was awesome. She loved it. It was very innovative at the time. And it was great the entire four weeks she had it before it broke. Nice. So that's really what happened. So the BlackBerry Storm sold 500,000 units in its first month and 1 million units by January of 2009. However, Verizon had to replace almost all of the 1 million Storm smartphones sold in 2008 due to issues with the SurePress touchscreen and claimed $500 million in losses. Wow. Making this quite possibly the biggest smartphone failure of all time, definitely the largest smartphone financial failure of all time. $500 million in loss? Yes. That's insane. Yep. Well, and I know that when the iPhone first came out, you could only get it through what became AT&T. At the time, it was... Singular. Singular, yeah. It was so, singular. So when the iPhone was first announced, you could only get it through Singular. So people were looking for an alternative. Right, and BlackBerry was Verizon's alternative. Yep. Yeah, and so everybody turned to this storm, but it turned out to be a huge financial liability for Verizon. Oh, yeah. It was awful. I mean, Verizon's a huge company. They have a lot of uh, financial assets. They have a lot of cash on hand. Yeah, but $500 million, no matter who you are, that's... A half billion dollars, exactly. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So $500 billion is a lot of money. I don't know how much Verizon had in cash. But here's the thing is no matter how much, no matter how much money you have, 
$500 million is still five. You got to think about opportunity yeah. cost. What could they have done with that $500 million? It doesn't matter how much money you have. $500 million is still world shattering money. Like you can go do something crazy with that amount of money. And even still, companies like Verizon don't get to be as big as they are if they don't worry about even like $1 million losses. You know, these huge companies that have these billions of dollars in assets still bring in people to go throughout their companies and find out how they can save like a few cents an hour on every worker to try and like increase profits. You don't become rich and stay rich by spending your money. Right. You you become rich and stay rich by, right. by living within your means and penny pinching. Exactly. I mean, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're only rich for so long if you don't do it right. Right. Exactly. You think uh, Jeff Bezos eats uh, red beans and rice? I don't think like, it's that. I don't think he's that cheap. But <laughs> <laughs> don't want to spend too much. Okay, so at this point, BlackBerry has completely been humiliated by Apple, and they're trying to save face. Like we said, they've invented the storm as a way to try to recoup some of that market loss that they got from the iPhone. And doubling down on their humiliation, they start to develop their own app store called BlackBerry App World. And let me give you a rundown of the app store market in March of 2009 when BlackBerry App World comes out. Everyone had seen the numbers that the Apple App Store was pulling, and everybody wanted a piece of that, dare I say, apple pie. <laughs> so Google had recently launched the Android market, which would later be known as the Google Play Store, which is the Android marketplace. Samsung had the Galaxy Store on the way. Nokia had recently announced their app store called Ovi. They ended up ditching that name by the time it had come out. Palm was developing the app catalog. And Windows Mobile was developing an app store called the Sky Market. So two things were certain at this point. The App Store market was completely saturated, and most of them had really stupid names. Right, and I mean, at this point, the only ones that are even still around are the Apple Store and Google Play, right? The Galaxy Store still exists. I can still download Galaxy apps, technically, yes. But you don't. I don't. No, you're yeah, right. No. Well, and the other thing is, I didn't include, Amazon also had their own store that they were trying to put out as a competitor to the Google Play Store. So they put out the Amazon App Store before they released their first tablet device, and it was supposed to be like a competitor to Google Play, even though Google developed Android. Weird. Yeah, it's, it's a whole thing that I don't have time to get into. So one of the benefits of BlackBerry App World was that they only took 20% of app revenue versus the 30%, which was pretty much the industry standard at this point. However, when it launched, you could only pay for apps through PayPal. Credit card payments were not an option. They did come later, but it, almost everyone that wrote about it at this point were yeah. like, why? Like, <laughs> that seems like the main thing. That's like the first thing you would develop is how do we get your money? So the BlackBerry app world also wasn't great for developers. At this point, everybody was going their own direction as far as what language they were developing their apps in. BlackBerry chose C++, which was a very common language at this point. But the problem was there was no other app store that used this. Apple used Objective-C. Google used Java which means that nothing could be cross-platform. At this mm. point, the only thing that they could get cross-platform was they were saying, oh, well, you can develop an app for the BlackBerry phone and an app for the BlackBerry tablet that we have coming up. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, so it's it's just a it's just a problem with platforms. No one wants to code their apps in three different languages, which is pretty much what all of Michael's nerd talk means. Right. So if you if you were Facebook, you made a Facebook for Blackberry, you made a Facebook for Google, you made a Facebook for Apple. And at some point something's got to give. So right. not all of these app stores are going to stick around. And later we come to find out that it's going to be Apple and Google that come out of this on top. And the writing was kind of on the wall from the beginning. Like they, they were the two first to come out. So yeah, they grabbed up that market share pretty quickly. Yeah. So the first iPad was released April 3rd, 2010. The iPad was a very large version of the iPhone. And this reflected Steve Jobs dreams to Quote, put an incredibly great computer in a book that you can carry around with you and learn how to use in 20 minutes. This had been his goal since the mid-80s, when he originally took over Apple. And it was very, very successful. But, of course, BlackBerry saw this and decided that they needed to compete because it was going to be the next big thing. So the first public demonstration of BlackBerry's iPad competitor was unveiled on October 25th, 2010. This was called the BlackBerry Playbook. It was released in Canada and the USA on April 19th, 2011. To quote CEO Mike Lazaridis, We're not trying to dumb down the internet for a mobile device. What we've done is bring up mobile devices to the level of desktop computers. That kind of ties back to a quote that I sent you, Cayman. At this point, Mike Lazaridis and Basile are, are co-CEOs. And in an interview talking about the upcoming playbook... He says that the BlackBerry approach is going to be different to Apple when it comes to web applications. According to him, there may be 300,000 apps for the iPhone and iPad, but the only app you really need is the browser. You don't need an app for the web, he says, and that is equally true for the mobile web. And that's a quote from TechCrunch. Mm, that's not a great strategy. So as many as 700,000 units shipped to retailers, and allegedly those remained on the shelves for months, which prompted BlackBerry to introduce a dramatic price reduction in November 2011 to increase sales. The sales did rebound following the price cuts, but then they weren't really making much money on these things. So BlackBerry eventually ended up shipping approximately 2.5 million BlackBerry playbooks by June 1st, 2013. And at the end of that same month, the CEO announced that the platform would not be further developed. And that's just because they weren't making any money on it. They weren't a very good competitor. At least with the BlackBerry Storm, they had, you know, unique hardware, something a little bit more special. And they were trying to do that with the BlackBerry Playbook, but they weren't really doing it in a good way. They weren't really making the Playbook better than the iPad in any way. So they just pretty much, they ditched it after just a couple of years and it didn't work out for them. At this point, Apple has completely dominated BlackBerry. They turned their differentiating factor of the physical keyboard completely against them. They beat them to the App Store market. They beat them to the tablet market. And at this point, BlackBerry is just defeated. But, however, BlackBerry did have a rainy day fund. They had $2.6 billion in cash and zero debt. They also had... About 44,000 patents, which was their main advantage as a company. And they've utilized those patents over the years. They've sued Facebook over the Facebook Messenger, saying that the fact that you provide a timestamp 
along with the message is is an infringement. They sued Snapchat for a similar reason. And I, I want to talk about one lawsuit that they had in particular against a company called Typo. Typo was a company that was co-founded by American Idol's Ryan Seacrest. I don't know why we keep talking about American Idol on the show. <laughs> it just keeps happening. So Ryan Seacrest founds this company called Typo, and the idea is that it's a slide-on keyboard that you can put on your iPhone that creates a physical keyboard on the device. I see a problem approaching. The problem is... The keyboard looks exactly like a BlackBerry keyboard, like down to the font and even like the symbols that are on every letter. It's a BlackBerry keyboard. And I get the reasoning, right? Like there were so many people that were used to a BlackBerry. And if they could just have that physical keyboard on an iPhone, they would make that switch. I get why Typo wanted to make this work. But BlackBerry sends them a a letter saying, you know, you've basically stolen our keyboard. So Typo creates a revised design. And it's still pretty much exactly a BlackBerry keyboard. And so BlackBerry sues again, and they ended up settling. But yeah, Typo ends up going defunct. And there's a quote from Fortune.com that like hurt me physically to read for BlackBerry. It said, BlackBerry can savor at least one iPhone-related victory. <laughs> well, I mean, BlackBerry was fair there. They sent the original cease and desist letter. And typo may have reworked it, but it was still a BlackBerry keyboard. So yeah, that, that's that's all on typo, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's just the fact that BlackBerry has to go toe to toe legally with Ryan Seacrest. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that you go into this episode not expecting to have to read. <laughs> Ryan Seacrest. So at this point, their cell phone game is still weak. They tried to make a few more phones on their BlackBerry 10 OS. They made one called the Classic, which was pretty much a return to the original design. It was, you know, the screen with the with the keyboard. That one sold okay. Then they created the BlackBerry Leap, and their tagline for this one was the power to succeed. And that ended up being the last phone to ever ship on BlackBerry 10. So it did not have the power to succeed. <laughs> and finally, at the end of 2015, they finally bit the bullet and released the Priv. It's either Priv or Priv. I can't tell which. I'm pretty sure it's the Priv. Well, the privilege of privacy is the tagline. So it's either Priv or Priv, right? <laughs> the privilege of privacy. So yes. I don't know. It's one of Clear those. I'm going to say the Priv. So they released the Priv, and it's their first Android device. So they've finally just admitted, okay, we can't make an OS. We're just going to release on Android. And that's pretty much the death of the BlackBerry 10 operating system. Right. And this was also the last phone to be manufactured by BlackBerry. Right. Now, just because it was the last to be manufactured by BlackBerry doesn't mean it was the last BlackBerry phone. Right. So the Priv was just a too little, too late. So BlackBerry decided in 2016 to cease competing in the smartphone market directly and to focus on making security software. But they still wanted to make phones. So TCL negotiated to purchase the brand and hardware. BlackBerry agreed to give them access on the basis that TCL could use their hardware. But if they were going to use their hardware patents, they had to use the BlackBerry software. So TCL agreed to this and released four phones, the BlackBerry Key 1, the BlackBerry Motion, the BlackBerry Key 2, and the BlackBerry Key 2 LE. 
These were all okay phones towards the end, especially the BlackBerry Key 2, which is their most recent phone, has had some pretty mixed reviews, not very great. And this also caused a lot of drama between TCL and BlackBerry. Yeah, so a lot of stuff that I was reading online, and none of this is verified, so this is all speculation and kind of hearsay, but a lot of stuff that I've been reading online says that people inside TCL have been very frustrated that they have to use BlackBerry software. They're not entirely sold on the idea that this is the the best stuff that they could be using. So the two companies have kind of been going back and forth, and, and negotiations haven't been great. So this leads into February 2nd, 2020. This month, it was announced that as of August 31st of this year, TCL will stop making Blackberries because it no longer has the rights to design and manufacture them. So this is really uh, unless someone else can pick up the BlackBerry phone, which BlackBerry said that it is still looking for someone to make the BlackBerry phones. This looks like it could be the end of BlackBerry phones. I don't think it's going to be the end. I mean, they're just going to have to find a new manufacturer. I'm sure people are chomping at the bit because here's the thing is like I went on. There's still a website called crackberry.com which is pretty much all the BlackBerry news. And I I specifically wanted to see what people's reaction on that website were for the announcement that TCL was no longer going to be making BlackBerry phones. And it was, I guess, exactly what I expected. People are devastated. Like, there's still people who have been loyal BlackBerry customers since the first BlackBerry came out. Now, they're not many. You gotta send them emails. Yeah, they can't. Got to get them emails. <laughs> well, and so I, there's still a market. And the BlackBerry name, I mean, it still carries weight. Yeah. So, I mean, there's phone manufacturers out there that are going to jump at this chance. Like, Well, only time can tell. Only time will tell. And I guess when something does come up, we might have to revisit this episode and... Do a little update. Do a little update. Talk about it. And I, personally, I, I will say, full disclaimer, I've never used a BlackBerry. I think the only time I ever used a BlackBerry was to play Breakout on it. My uncle was, I'm not sure if he was a business dude, but he wanted to appear to be a business dude at least. And I remember him having one. Hey, a BlackBerry is all you need. I will say he had the belt clip, which is how you know you mean business. Mm -hmm. I had a BlackBerry when I was a kid. Did you? Did you? And I used the belt clip because I thought it was cool at the time. Of course you did. Was it your BlackBerry that I played Breakout on? Is that what I'm remembering? <laughs> probably. It probably was. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. It probably was. Because I knew I had, yeah. but I was like, who was? Who would I have played that on? It was likely mine. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because I, I had the one with the trackball in the middle. Not the trackpad, but the trackball. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Because I played, yeah, yeah. I said trackpad earlier, but I, I at that point, I was like, man, that's wrong. It was the ball. It's the trackball, yeah. So for those of you at home, me and Colin go way, way back to birth. We go back a little bit. Just a little bit. So, yeah, BlackBerry is still around. Their big thing right now is BlackBerry cybersecurity. They have a big project that they're running right now called Silence Persona. This is just a cybersecurity resource for companies to use. It helps monitor all the devices that your company is using. So if a device is lost, cloned, or impersonated, it can be shut down remotely. Uh, it has streamlined access to apps and services, and you don't have to re-authenticate when in trusted locations. It uses AI logic to dynamically adapt a security policy based on the behavior and the location patterns of the people using the devices. 
Hey, Cayman, were we sponsored by this company and you didn't tell me? <laughs> no, no, but I did get a lot of this information off their website. So, but no, but it sounds, it sounds interesting. I see, I see the need for it in the market. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it makes total sense. <laughs> Let me ask you this though. Mm-hmm. What are the chances that we see a partnership between John McAfee Global Technologies and this other cybersecurity <laughs> firm? Oh, this is the second cybersecurity thing in a row. Oh, what are we doing? Could we broker this deal? Could we make <laughs> millions off this idea? How do they feel about cryptocurrency? <laughs> well, I have to call them and find out. And how do they feel about paying taxes? <laughs> you have to hate paying taxes. Good. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, no, it seems it seems like an interesting service. And it's I, th- I think that this is the most interesting thing to me personally is how they've brought it to software because like blackberry i would say blackberry's biggest thing is the hardware that's what everyone remembers well i i disagree i mean they really leaned on the idea that they were the most secure like something else that i didn't have time to get into almost every president leading up to like through obama obama had to argue with his security council that he did not want to get rid of his blackberry right like they've really leaned on the idea of being the security phone, and even another thing that I didn't have time to get oh, into. Are we gonna talk about it? Uh, which one? Uh, the BlackBerry belonging to a certain political figure that caused a whole lot of controversy because it supposedly got hacked. No. Oh. Um. So for those of you that don't remember the the entire thing with the Hillary Clinton probe at the 2016 campaign, which could be listed as one of the reasons that she perhaps lost. No, she did lose. Or um, well, no, one of the perhaps reasons she she definitely did lose. We remember <laughs> that. <laughs> but it all revolved around her BlackBerry, which supposedly got hacked. Well, and the and the emails. Oh my God! But BlackBerry loves emails. Right, that's the thing. It was her. It was supposedly her BlackBerry was that got hacked, and that's how they got access to the emails. I thought it was the server. It's important to her note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The emails were on her personal server, not on the government server. That was the problem. Right. She was basically using her personal email address, whatever her domain might be. I think it's the Clinton Foundation dot org. Right. Okay. Sure. And that's what I'm saying. That that was the you know, a legal thing that was that she allegedly did or did do. I think it, I think it was confirmed that she did it, but not can like they just didn't suggest any charges. Yeah, but it wasn't malicious. Right. It wasn't malicious, but it was the BlackBerry supposedly is how they got access to the emails. You know, during 9-11, a lot of cell signals went down because so many people were making phone calls. And one of the only networks to actually survive was the BlackBerry network. Yeah. And this was something that BlackBerry kind of leaned on saying like, oh, yeah, we have unmatched reliability, you know. Right. And that goes back to Mobitex. Mobitex, the original service that they used, especially for their pagers, was very reliable, very quick. And a lot of 9-11 emergency teams were on the Mobitex system. So that that kind of leads back into why they were so successful. Well, yeah, I've, I've got a couple things that I just kind of want to mention in closing. Well, before before we get into that, where do you kind of mark, you know, in, in your personal, I guess, uh, professional podcaster opinion, 
I have no professional opinion. Do not take anything that I say for any kind of anything. Yeah, no, we, we, we. I'm a guy sitting at his computer with a microphone in front of me. Yep. Uh, so we're pretending to know things, but in your, in your opinion, what, what is it that Blackberry did wrong? What is there? I really wish you hadn't. I mean, I, I mentioned it, right? It's, it's whenever Apple called them out and said, you know, you're, <laughs> Look at how stupid they are with their stupid keyboard. And then Blackberry's like, I don't have a keyboard. You have a keyboard. <laughs> and then they just completely messed up their entire ecosystem because they were trying to chase Apple without really having anything to show for it. That's where I mark it. So you think it was that, not the fact that their phones were heavier? <laughs> no, I, I don't know why you keep coming back to the weight. It had nothing to do with the weight. Your hand gets tired. No, they're... The BlackBerry phones were lighter, right? No, the black. No, 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 no. The pager was lighter than the modern iPhone 11. I will say, I don't think. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying the pager <laughs> was lighter? Yeah. The pager was. I thought that was a phone. Who gets? It's just a pager. It's got like one line of text. <laughs> so. <laughs> so yes, the pager was lighter than the modern iPhone 11. Although hardware-wise, I think that we have to give the trophy to the iPhone 11. It might run a little bit better. Are you fat shaming the BlackBerry? <laughs> yeah, I'm fat shaming the BlackBerry, man. Oh my god! I we don't want get my so hand to get mail. tired when I'm walking around with my phone because it's just it's too heavy. When has that ever happened? When has anybody gone? God, <laughs> this phone is so heavy. <laughs> my phone. My hand is so tired. This phone. This phone weighs so much. My <laughs> hand is straining to hold this. Well, that's no one has ever said that. <laughs> well, you've clearly never been neck deep in business. <laughs> sending so many emails buying selling stocks no but that's why they had to have the belt clip for all their phones because you know you'd put one of their heavy phones in your pocket and pull your pants oh, down so heavy <laughs> right. just it pants you well it's so heavy for your hand you have to clip it onto the side of your belt you're right <laughs> but yeah no in all seriousness i i agree with you michael and i, I think it's a tragedy because i don't think that blackberry necessarily did anything wrong like they were an amazing innovative company they came out with something really cool and apple just beat them with a superior product and really after they got that first punch like their their phone couldn't compete with the iphone well the thing is they just didn't realize the market that existed like there's a great video of and this is not related to blackberry but steve Ballmer from microsoft Whenever they come at him saying, like, what do you think about the iPhone? He literally laughs in the reporter's face and says, oh, you're talking about the $500 phone that they're marketing to consumers? He's like, it's not for business users. Nobody wants that. Like, <laughs> nobody nobody understood what they had in front of them at this point. Right. So BlackBerry was always marketed to business users, but... The thing is, everybody wanted a smartphone. It's just that nobody knew it yet. Right. So the fact that iPhone beat them to the punch, like, yeah, I guess BlackBerry could have seen sooner that there was a market. But again, that's kind of not their target demographic. Right. Breaking into that market and putting more of an emphasis on, and like they kind of did with the celebrities, right, is trying to get more people to adopt their framework. Mm -hmm. But maybe they just didn't do enough. Right. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I, I don't I don't hold BlackBerry super accountable for this. Obviously, there are things that they could have done, but... Oh, I disagree. I, I wouldn't say that I don't hold them accountable. I think their problem was when you're marketing to the average person, 
you never want to admit you were wrong. Right. So when Apple comes out and says like, oh, look at your stupid keyboard, like that is 100% where I point it. Yeah. They should have doubled down and said like, no, you're stupid because you don't have a physical keyboard. I loved phones that had a physical keyboard. Yeah. And there's a reason that Typo had a market, right? Yeah. If there was no market for it, Typo couldn't have existed. Yeah. People wanted that. And I think that there was room for a real competitor in that. But the fact that they switched so quickly... And, you know, were embarrassed by the fact that they had a keyboard like they should have just said, no, Apple, you don't even know how to make cell phones because the, the first iPhone wasn't amazing. No, no, it wasn't amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. My dad uses an Android to this day. His current Android doesn't have a keyboard, but the reason that he uses Android is because he could have a slide out keyboard mm -hmm. for years past an iPhone. I mean, you could never have a slide out keyboard with an iPhone, and he had a slide out keyboard until, and you can't find one these days, but I mean, until it was no longer a thing. Well, yeah, and it's important to bring up. It's important to bring up. Yeah. TCL didn't didn't say that they're going to stop making Blackberries because they're not doing well. It's because they don't have access to the rights, the design to manufacture them, access to those hardware patents. You know, yeah. the the Key2 LE came out in 2018, still has a keyboard, not awful cells. Yeah, and that's really what TCL wanted yeah. in that whole deal was they wanted the keyboard. Everything else was taken or leave it, but they right. wanted that keyboard patent. Let's use the keyboard. They even specifically didn't want the yeah. software, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like, right? From what I've like been they reading, don't yeah. Want the software. They just want the keyboard. We can't prove that. We can't prove that, but yeah. allegedly. Okay, sorry. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, they didn't want anything else except the keyboard. So, yeah, there's still a market for it. You know, it's it's not dead yet. It could come back. It's not doing great. It might be on life support at this moment. Well, the fact that they don't have a manufacturer is a big problem, but absolutely, this is this is 100% the biggest thing that I could see making a resurgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not a huge resurgence, but... A resurgence, nonetheless. There's a market for phones with keyboards. There's a market, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting case study, you know, for those of you out there in the audience that are thinking about starting a multi-billion dollar business. Make a deal with BlackBerry. I heard that they're looking for a new manufacturer. <laughs> Do that. But what I was going to say, you know, uh, Blockbuster, our first episode, we talked about, you know, they felt because they didn't innovate. BlackBerry went too hard on trying to innovate. They tried to make something, put something out extremely quickly, and it was a flop. So there's there's definitely a, a, sweet, a sweet spot in there. There's a middle ground ground <laughs> there's a middle ground there's a middle ground for sure well excellent is there anything more that you got to say michael yeah i've got a couple closing things okay hit us, hit us with them the whole cypress thing at the beginning i went way too far down that rabbit hole and i would love to revisit it because that there's a lot that i did not cover all right potentially seeing a british crown imperialism episode in our future oh yeah i can see that yeah Oprah, as I mentioned, Oprah put the BlackBerry on her list of favorite things twice. Mm -hmm. Oprah now makes programming for Apple TV Plus, and she has also <laughs> restarted her book club as part of Apple Books. So she has completely turned coat. And yeah, we lost Oprah. Sorry, guys. Oprah flip floppy, maybe? I think she goes where the money is. Probably. <laughs> Can you blame her? No, absolutely not. 
hey, you don't get to be the wealthiest woman of all time by not going with it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Quickly on the topic of app stores, BlackBerry App World shut down on December 31st, 2019. So it's been Ooh. shut down for about two months now. Oh, that was so recent. I know. I was going to mention it, but I was like, I don't want to skip ahead. And then the last thing that I want to mention is BlackBerry uh, tried to start their own like BlackBerry store to compete with like the Apple store. There was only one of them. It was in a suburb of Detroit. There was a plan to roll out over 100 stores. And if you look at pictures, it was in a rundown strip mall, <laughs> and it looked like a rundown like cell phone store. I mean, it's exactly what it was. Nice. And so thanks for checking out the episode. I hope that you guys are liking this two-week format. And if you aren't, there's no alternative. That's true. <laughs> I mean, shoot us, shoot us an email. Tell us if we need to work harder. You know, for just a few ten thousand dollars i'm sure that at least one of us could quit our jobs and do this full time so <laughs> just a few ten thousand dollars that's all it takes just a few just a few ten thousand dollars and i will you know i'll start spending a lot more time on these so we can push out more content but thanks for sticking with us thanks for getting to the third episode if people wanted to donate that many ten thousands dollars <laughs> came where would they find us uh, well, you can find us online at IReallyWishYouHadn't.com. There you can just send us a little message. You can shoot us an email at podcast at IReallyWishYouHadn't.com. If you really, really are actually considering it, I would say let us know at Cayman at IReallyWishYouHadn't.com. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like the most important one. Or, you know, any social media. So you can find us on Twitter at I-R-W-Y-H podcast. You can find us on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. All right, guys. So until next time, take it easy. We look forward to seeing you then. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, if you're going to make an iPhone competitor, just put it on Android. The world doesn't need another smartphone operating system. And as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. 